1: Welcome to the Shape Podcast with me, Dan the Fitness Man Staten. This podcast is dedicated to blue-collar, hard-working public land elk hunters. We preach hard work, delayed gratification, discipline, and staying accountable to yourself. We value faith, family, fitness, fiscal discipline, and of course, public land elk hunting. So come along as we try to educate, motivate, and inspire you to become the best possible version of yourself. Our podcast is brought to you by Wilderness Athlete, performance you deserve, fuel your body with the best, use our discount code ELKSHAPE30 and save 30% off your first purchase. We are also brought to you by NUMA Outdoors, geared for the outdoors, made with bow hunters in mind, built to over-deliver and most importantly, designed to outperform. Check out NUMAoutdoors.com and be sure to use the discount code ELKSHAPE20 to save 20% off your purchase. Matthews Archery, elevating the archery experience. Take a test drive with the Matthews V331 or 27 at a local dealer near you. Vortex Optics. I've been partnered with Vortex since 2010. This company is awesome. They're American owned, veteran owned, they're based in Wisconsin. Their entire team of designers and engineers produce and distribute a complete line of premium sport optics, accessories, and apparel. Most of the apparel that I wear while training, scouting, and hanging out around the house is Vortex wear. Go ahead and check it out. And if you wanna save 20%, enter the discount code ELKSHAPE at checkout, and you'll save 20%. New from Vortex in 2021 is their tripods. The one I've been using in the backcountry is their Summit carbon tube. And they're radiant carbon, and it also has a ball-leveling head, and it's perfect for rock-solid shooting. There is a tripod to fit everyone's needs from Vortex now, and it's still covered with their lifetime, no-fault, transferable VIP warranty. Check it out at vortexoptics.com. Shape Podcast with me, Dan, the fitness man. What's up? It's almost September. It's almost that magical time of year. I couldn't be more stoked to talk to Chris J. Hood. Follow him on Instagram. Look him up world-class photographer in the industry, but also world-class elk hunter. Uh, He's put a lot of giant bulls on the ground, some of them on private, sure, but some of them on public. And either way, both tactics are working regardless of if it's private or public. He's a wealth of knowledge. We're gonna sit down and pick his brain on how to kill the herd bull, how to do it by hunting the bubble, putting the calls away, and some of the tactics that have worked best for him. And I think everybody as an elk hunter should know all the tactics. That's what we teach at the Elk Collective. And we make sure that you are chameleon out there and you're changing tactics to suit what is going to work best to punch that tag. September is finite. There's only so many Septembers in your life. Take advantage of every day. Give it everything you've got. Make sure all your stuff is dialed at home, that your wife is taken care of, that your absence isn't a burden on the family. Make sure that you've hired the child care or you've made arrangements for her to have a spa day and that you've taken care of all your honey and that while you're gone she knows that you're she, you're basically living your best life and going to come back the best version of yourself and when you do come back make sure you come back the best version of yourself and you're going to do that by hunting every day and giving it everything you got and hopefully punching that tag and filling that freezer full of the most perfect protein source on planet earth called elk meat let's get into the podcast Chris you got me I do how are you doing oh good man how about you pretty good you plowing those fields
2: yeah we got I uh, got one one more to do today yet
1: so are you in uh, Wisconsin
2: I am yeah I'm on the uh, the west side of the state here right right on the Mississippi River basically so we're actually uh, we've got a farm uh, in Wisconsin that we've had for forever then we've um bought a new farm here about uh about a year and a half ago i guess yeah i guess really about a year ago Um, um over in minnesota so that's where we got this last one to get done is over there so we gotta shuffle tractor and equipment over there and stuff today and and do that
1: well i thought it was just easy whitetail hunting you just sit in a tree stand and they'll come right to you
2: Oh yeah. That's, that's what you see (laughs) what happens in, in October and November.
1: Are you fairly close to lacrosse?
2: Yeah, that's, that's the town
1: I'm in. Okay, cool. We did an elk shape camp there two years ago out of, uh, lacrosse archery, Anthony Schmidt.
2: Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I know, I know Anthony real well.
1: Dude, he's a really good shop owner.
2: Yeah. He's one of the best.
1: Absolutely. Like I've met a lot of shop owners he's way up there that's cool we're coming back to wisconsin in 22 we're gonna do it over at vortex optics hq
2: okay nice so nice i'll be down there and uh i'll be down there here and uh um i guess about four weeks end uh end of august i guess like the 25th something like that
1: are you doing work for him
2: i'm doing a, a deal for uh Cabello's, um with their, I, I, I photographed a bunch of their signature outdoor adventures and experiences and stuff. And um, there's a, a Vortex brand experience um, that they're doing that I'll be going to and documenting and hanging out with those guys. So,
1: yeah. Well, I have followed you on Instagram for quite some time. Uh, I don't follow a lot of people and I don't remember how I found your account, but I dug it. I still do, obviously. And I was like, just you know, cruising, checking out your content periodically, and and then a guy from Wisconsin messaged me and said, "Dude, you should bring Chris on the podcast." And I was like, "Man, yeah, that's a great idea." So, for those that don't know anything about you, give us a quick little rundown on what you do and and what you're up to.
2: Well, so I mean, I've, I kind of grew up, I kind of grew up in the uh, the outdoor hunting industry. My uh, my dad and my uncle um, owned Predator Camo, so I've been around i've been around it since the beginning um they actually owned a tree stand company before that um that they started in 82 and they kind of um ended that in about 2000 just when everything started going overseas um so i i grew up in that in that world you know my high school jobs were well you know welding but putting together tree stands boxing them up and shipping them out all that kind of stuff um you know and just you know hunting's always been a a big part of our family and, you know, just, it was a, just, you know, a way to, you know, connect with, you know, stay, stay connected with people, you know, family and friends and whatnot. So, you know, always kind of been around that world, you know, ended up, you know, college, you know, played, played sports in college and, you know, went, went away for that and then ended up going to Chicago, working in finance for a while and just, you know, so used to be having outdoors and, you know, hunting and fishing and, you know, water sports in the summer and just outdoor space. And it was just Chicago just wasn't doing it for me. I spent about seven, eight years there. Um, Went back to knew I needed a change. I ended up going back to school, Um, got an MBA in brand management. And in doing that, you know, I really kind of enjoyed, you know, a lot of the creative, um, you know, side of things and, and actually, doing more of the the creative work. And, you know, obviously I had a um, little bit of a passion for photography, which I found in high school and, you know, learning back in the dark, we had a dark room, all film, you know, learn the ins and outs back then before there was Photoshop, you, you know, you were doing stuff on a, um, when you're actually making the prints of dodging and burning and all that kind of stuff. Um, and, you know, got away from it and then got back, got back to it, you know, while I was in grad school and Um, you know, I was starting to do more hunts, um, and I was trying to figure out how I could obviously, you know, monetize my time while I was out in the field, but also, um, ways that I could help, you know, my dad's business and, and do what I could to help grow that business. And, and, and so picked up a camera, started shooting again, and, you know, one thing led to another, just got started getting better, you know, over the years with doing it and, some relationships opened up and, you know, within the industry and, um, you know, I shoot a bunch of different stuff for a bunch of different brands and, um, and, and I, it ultimately has led to, you know, my, my, my gig that I've got with Cabela's and Bass Pro Shops and their signature outdoor adventures and experiences. And, you know, I get to tag along on, you know, bucket list type trips for, you know, most guys, you know, most guys would I would say would consider these trips like that kind of an experience. And, um, you know, you can book them with your Cabela's points or or you can just buy them out, right? But the one thing is you have to have a Cabela's or Bass Pro or now a sportsman's credit card to be able to book these. And in one of the perks of the 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 booking these trips is you get a guy like me to go with and document the whole trip for your, for you or you and your, you know, family or whoever you go with. Um, so you don't have to take a camera. You don't have to worry about any of that stuff. And then at the end of the day, um, you get access to all all the images and then they make Cabela's makes a a coffee table type photo book of the, of each trip. So you have something to, you know, look back on and, or share with, you know, friends and family and that kind of stuff. So it's, it's a it's a pretty good gig and you know I still work with a bunch of other brands and
1: a bunch of other stuff but that's kind of the main thing right now. There's some stuff you said there so cool man. Uh pre-sick gear days. I wore predator. Like it was it still might be the best breakup pattern ever. That's your dad, dude. Yep. Yep. I don't know. I just think that's the the coolest thing ever. Uh does he That's still-
2: all, that, that's awesome that you used to rock it. Yeah, I mean it's you know, unfortunately, I tried to push. I tried to push him, him and my uncle back in, oh, I don't know, 08, 09 to start doing more of the technical stuff. And you know, he they they had been so used to building, you know, you know more more stuff that was geared towards white tail hunters and stuff that was durable. You know, a lot of you know your BDU cotton, you know, basic stuff like that. Um, but they. Did have a focus on you know trying to make sure that the the, the pattern you know didn't wash away in, in, the, in the laundry and you know so they spent some time you know having better products than just your average normal camel company from that standpoint but they didn't ever really think about the mountain hunting and the the you know the technical garments like that and you know I really tried to have them push that early on you know kind of right about the same time maybe Sika was coming out and obviously before Kuyu was a thing. Um and they just never really could kind of get behind it. You know, now obviously um now we have a lot more or they have a lot more gear that is dialed for the Western hunter. Um, but we still still our bread and butter obviously is, is the white tail hunter. So
1: would they own the rights to the 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 actual breakup, like the license to if anyone wanted to license it could they or have they always been exclusive how does that work oh uh, no
2: no no they do they do license license the pattern out um you know they're kind of picky and choosy over who they do it and what they do it you know it just depends on what they're building and, and whatnot obviously they 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 worked with uh, red bull or not red bull but um double bull blinds forever and yep. rhino rhino blinds and um a lot of the blind companies obviously because it's the big open pattern which you know, when you put it on a bigger object, especially and you step back the distance, it obviously works better, right? Um, so they do a lot of that stuff. They they'd license a lot to give like a lot of product stuff to, to Cabela's, um, which is always a difficult Cabela's would want to license your stuff and then they would put you in their store. Well, first they put you in their store with your stuff and test the market and test the water to see if the stuff would sell, and then they'd want to license. So they could build your build the product with their you know with their name on it, and obviously they could make more money, um, but then they wouldn't give you any more rack space, you know. So it was always a little tricky on that side of things, how you navigated that. Um, and there's still there's still a few you know um, you know like the Grey Wolf Woolens still makes um, wool gear with Predator patterns and stuff so there's there's just still still a few guys out there licensing it like Scentlock has a has a license they still produce some stuff with predator so
1: dude that's so cool so i mean it's a small world but i don't know i've just always thought predator was awesome yeah it was cotton but that was our options back in the day and uh the the breakup has always been to this date one of my favorite patterns still is so that's your old man that's cool well yeah shooting photography, shooting stills, but being a pretty educated guy. What's your masters in?
2: Uh, so I a master I got my masters in uh, um, brand management and entrepreneurship.
1: Oh. Well, that's kind of handy, wouldn't you say?
2: Yeah, exactly, right? So, you know, the in the world that I work with with a lot of the a lot of the brands and whatnot, it's it's really easy for them to come to me and say, Hey, this is, you know, we need some images to promote this and product, you know, whatever product it may be, you know, it, how do we, how do we best accomplish that? So a lot of it, you know, ties in together nice where, you know, a lot of times brands, bigger brands would go to a creative agency, right. You know, a creative agency would, you know, come up with a, a campaign or an idea for all this, you know, and, um, and then they would go then hire out, you know, their video production, photo production, whatever, whatever, it may be for the campaign. And then, um, you know, obviously the bigger brands, you know, I'm talking like Nike, you know, Adidas, they're big, big, big brands, right. You know, their budgets are a little bit different than the, a lot of the, sh- you know, hunting companies in the, in the outdoor world. So, um, it, it allows, it allows me to kind of give them, you know, brands, some of that same feel, you know, and work, um, and then still, you know, just coming to me directly not having to go to a creative agency or, you know, if they can't afford all that extra, right.
1: Yeah. I think a, a one-stop shop. So it's just you, which is pretty advantageous for, I mean, creative agencies, I work with some, they're awesome. They're super dialed. They're usually pretty big staffed. Everybody's got a very specific task or role. They're very dialed. But at the end of the day. The more their payroll is, the more your fee is going to be. And uh, a guy like you could come in there and, and be like a one-stop shop, you probably can get a better price point. Although I hope you charge Cabela's Bass Pro Sportsman's Warehouse. I hope you charge them an arm and a leg.
2: You know, it's, it's, uh, it's decent. It's not as great as it would like to be like it to be. But at um, the same time, the work that kind of what I'm doing for them isn't quite the same. You know, I'm not having to go out and do creative, um, you know, staging, you know, whatever it may be, or hiring models or, you know, any of that, any of that legwork, right? It's it's basically just documenting trips that they've got dialed in um, and, and all, the, all the legwork are there and you're just, you know, documenting it for the customers for the most part. Cabela's does use it in Cabela's and Bass Pro. They do use it in their... Uh, a lot of their advertising for these trips and whatnot and they'll use it um, possibly in some other advertising avenues as well like we've got a i've got a trip coming up here in um, a couple of weeks out in the bighorns in wyoming for uh, it's a tracker off-road experience and they, they are looking to hopefully get a bunch of images that they can then use um in their marketing materials for for the tracker off-road brand um going forward so
1: sure no that makes sense um it's, it's cool that you're chasing adventure and capturing. I love steel photos. Uh, not very good photographer. Pretty amateur. Um, like, I don't shoot on auto, obviously. But um, <clears throat> I just have appreciation for freezing time, like freezing memories, cementing them. And then I can sort out when somebody's good or not. Just I have an eye. can tell somebody's pretty. They understand, like, framing, composition, lighting. Uh, I've seen your shots. And there's a couple I want to talk about specifically. But first, what about you, man? What about your hunting? Like, sure, it's cool to take photos and do that for a living, but you're a hunter. What? How much do you get to hunt and where do you put your energy and time in? Yeah, I mean,
2: essentially, I mean, that's kind of why I've kind of created a career for myself in the way that I have is in order to give myself time to be able to, to spend in the woods, um, whether it be whitetail hunting or, or elk hunting or, or whatever it may be. Um, right now, those are kind of my two my two big passions. Um, you know, I, I growing up, I always wanted to do you know the North American twenty nine or twenty eight, whatever the number is these days. Um,
1: it's twenty nine with the toolie.
2: Yeah, yeah. So I mean, that was always something I wanted to do. Um, but you know, the more I started elk hunting, and the more I get started getting into elk hunting, it's just you'd have an awful hard time pulling me away from the elk woods in September to go chase other animals. It just, once you're out, out in out in the elk woods and, you know, those bugles start ripping off and you start chasing them, it's, it's a different feeling. It's, it's hard to, it's hard to explain to somebody who hasn't done it. And, you know, I just, yeah, I'd like to go moose hunting. I'd like to go caribou hunting. I'd like to do all these other things, but right now I just, I'm having too much fun chasing those bugles. So it's, it's uh really hard to pull me away from, from that. So, but yeah, I mean, that's uh, essentially kind of how I ended up in my career and doing what I'm doing is to be able to give myself the time to be able to go spend two, three weeks in the elk woods. And then, you know, most of whitetail season back here in Wisconsin, you know, at our farm, you know, picking and choosing the right days. If it's a, you know, a Tuesday or a Wednesday and the, the winds, right. I need to be able to be in the tree that I need to be in. Right.
1: Yeah. Okay, Mister Elk Hunter. So, what do you got for tags this year? Hashtag hardest tag ever to get was twenty twenty one. I just never had to try so hard. What? were you looking at for elk hunting this year?
2: Um, I've, I've got uh, I've got Montana. Um, it's really the only only one only tag I drew. Um, and it's the, I've been hunting the same place the last five years. Um, been pretty successful there. Um, shout out. 373 the first year. Um didn't kill one the second year, third year was a 328, then a 305, and then last year shot a 341
1: there. Okay, so so blue collar Dan's gotta ask, are you hunting private ground?
2: Yeah, it is private
1: ground. You little bastard.
2: Yeah, you know, it, it um, don't
1: jealous. get me wrong.
2: Don't get me wrong. I have plenty of
1: public. Um
2: I've you know I've killed I've killed bulls in New Mexico on public, you know solo solo by myself. Um done that. We've hunted Colorado. My brother lives my brother lives out in the Avon area next to Vale in Colorado. We we hunt usually every year um out there. We've got you know three to four spots that we kind of go to depending on the time of the season and, and how much pressure you know, other people are around and whatnot. Um, and don't get me wrong, I love it just is just the same if not more. You know, because it's you know you you get you earn you know you get what you earn you know you put in put in the time and the work to get to where you got to be and um you know we killed some good bulls out there my brothers killed the the three forty five. i've called in about a 310 for him uh, a buddy of mine um a bull that i missed actually three days before he ended up shooting uh, just kind of because of the rotation that he was up next um it was a 346 you know so we get in we get into good good elk there and you know we have some pretty good good success um but the montana deal is is a private private ranch um and i just you know it was five six years ago when i you know it was i was just strictly doing mostly public land stuff and uh, a buddy of mine um i've met through the industry is actually a sitka sales rep um you know invited me into this group and I was kind of on the fence about doing it. And, you know, he put it, he put it to me this way. He said, this is a place that, you know, archery hunting, they've always had really good success from the emails that he used to get back in the day. Rifle hunting was, they never killed much. Um, it's like the elk don't like to stay there doing a rifle or whatever. Um, but he goes, they would kill some big ones. And he goes, I, I, I honestly believe we we'll, everybody in the group will probably get a crack at a, you know, 320 type bull. And he goes, I think one guy in the group will probably get a crack at like a 370 type bull. And I was like, all right, you, you, you know, you said enough to sell me on it. Now, you know, I'm the youngest guy in the group. Um, I'm going to be willing to go harder and further than most guys. So I'm going to make it, make it my goal to be the guy who gets a crack at that 370 and sure, you know, sure as shit that first year, I ended up shooting a 373. Um, so it, it was worth it. And because of it, you know, I've gotten to know the people and it's just one of those hunts that I can kind of bank on every year. If I don't draw a tag somewhere else, um, you know, and and like this year, I've got a bunch of work in September that basically is going to keep me from going public land with my brother or my brother actually drew a, a Wyoming 45 tag, which I drew a couple of years ago. Um, and he's going to go hunt there. And we actually, there's, uh, my buddy, Nick, who lives in Sheridan out there drew it. And then another guy that we, we hunt with who's from Arizona drew it as well. So there's, they got a group of, you know, a good group of guys to go hunt. Um, and they should, they, we, you know, we spent pretty good time in that unit two years ago and figured out some really good spots. So they, they should have a really fun hunt, but unfortunately I won't be able to join them very much.
1: Oh man. Uh, love the big horns for sure. Special. I've only had the tag once wasn't where you were, but it was close. Uh, Super special place. I understand that from afar, you hunting private ground Montana is like, oh, yeah, well, I could do that. Well, hold on a second. You're coming from a guy who's – I've killed quite a few elk, and I would probably be a little more nervous, uh, a little more cautious to hunt elk that I don't want to bump. Like there's no – huge swaths of land where you can bump elk and you're all right like it's much more delicate and you put down some good numbers there as far as some quality bulls so you're shooting chris you're shooting very very older age class elk uh, that know stuff and have learned stuff and evolved so let's just get into big herd bull tactics sure it could be public land as well but it don't matter to me it's like still a, a big animal a smart animal how are you doing what are like what clues have been left behind and you're looking back from a successful standpoint going, Oh yeah, do this. Don't do that, et cetera. cetera. Well, yeah.
2: Yeah. I mean, and it, and it goes to the same, you know, obviously, you know, I've hunted, you know, I've killed good bulls and and killed a good one in Wyoming, killed a good one, a couple of good ones in, in New Mexico, um, Colorado, you know, so I've had some good success, um, using these taxes, not just in, in Montana, but Montana's, um, what's nice about doing the deal in Montana is it's, it is, it's a place where, you know, you're not going to get messed. You're not going to get messed with from other hunters. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, you, that's, that's the biggest issue. Um, and you know, you, you, you know, if you leave elk, if you can't get into the exact right position, um, in a, on a given morning or evening or whatever, that they're still going to be in the area and you're going to still have a chance the next day to try and figure out how to get to the right position Um, so that's the benefit of that and you know it's it's just one of those hunts i look forward to every year it's good people and it's just it's just a fun hunt um but as far as tactics that what i do and you know how we've we've been successful is um i don't call yay folks i don't call one bit i i I rarely i've you know early on the days we would you know throw location bugles out and that kind of stuff but even then, it just it to me, it just let the elk do the talking. Don't don't call and just figure out where they're going, and we want to where they want to go, and figure out how to you know angle into them, forty five into them with the wind in your face, and just be in position and get tight to them, and wait for those you know especially those herd bulls. Is they're gonna if you've ever been around elk, they're gonna run around. You know, making sure they're getting all their cows pushed in certain directions, and you know, some of the cows are going to wander off in different directions. And you know, you just got to get yourself, you know, kind of tight, but in a position, obviously, where the wind isn't going to get you. And just, you know, just wait, you know, and obviously it's going to take a little bit of luck. You know, that bull's got to, got to cruise around and, and come into an area where you're going to have a shot. But if you, if you do those things right, you know, and you, you know, put the wind in your face and, you know, you work your way and, you know, you know where they're going, you can have great success. And especially on herd bulls, because I've seen so many times, you know, guys call and I see bulls, you know, especially herd bulls, they pick up their head, they look, and then they just fucking, they they just take off the other way like a bat out of hell. Like they're just not going to deal with other, you know, other calls. And, you know, yes, you may, you know, rip some calls and you may get some action, but it's most likely going to be from smaller bulls. You know, and you may get some, you know, that experience of, you know, bulls running in like crazy and whatnot. But for the most part, I've just not had good, good experiences with, with calling. So, um, you know, if we're trying to kill a big bull, it's, you know, we just don't bother with the calls and we just go after them.
1: Yeah. So let's, let's pick apart some next level tactics. Um, uh, very, I agree. Like, I do, I do locate elk through a bugle tube. Uh, I do carry calls. Uh, just qu- briefly, statistically speaking, the less I call, the bigger the bull I've killed. Uh, it's just an inverse relationship. Uh, and I'm not a world-class elk caller. Uh, also, and I'm just trying to kind of help advocate your tactic. When you call elk and elk are coming into a call, there's a different vibe on their body language and their alertness. Like sometimes these bulls are coming in just out of curiosity. Sometimes they're just horned up, ready to breed. And then sometimes they're crazy mad, like raging, ready to fight to the death. All those involve an elk that's very much in tune with its surroundings. So you're very limited on getting your bow pulled back, uh, at the right time, as well as getting an elk to be broadside or a quartering away shot, which would be ideal. Uh, there's just a lot of things going against you when they're on full alert. However, when you're bubble hunting, like what it sounds like you do, what I do is where you're hanging out on fringes and you're counting on a bull to make mistakes like scent check, like go rake a tree, like go get water midday or go run off a satellite. There's, there's place like the bull's really not the obstacle. It's his cows. That's that's your adversary. And so for me, bubble hunting, I'm, I want to pick your brain on this, Chris. And by the way, I absolutely love our conversation so far. Um, is so mornings are tough. Like you can, the winds are pretty dependable, but you're always like up against the clock of when the wind's going to switch, where the thermals are going to create, uh, the air's going to warm up and come up mountain. So being below elk is really like it's. It's kind of advantageous until it's not. And then you kind of have a window and it changes a little bit from day to day terrain features. And then you have like kind of more these midday, afternoon type dependable thermals uh, with much larger windows for you to be in the bubble and wait for them to make a mistake. And including evenings where like you got that last 30 minutes of daylight where the wind's really reliable. The chances of a swirling wind are very low. Um, so looking back, Chris, can you decide, like, have you got your shot opportunities by bubble hunting? And if so, what have been the best time stamps or windows of time to do that?
2: Um, yeah, I mean, that's, I mean, I I guess I've never heard it called
1: bubble hunting, but yeah, that's
2: essentially exactly what we do. Um, you know, we do, um, we do exactly that. And, you know, I guess, I guess most, um, I guess most of our success has been mornings. Um, you know, I can speak sp- like just specifically to a couple of those Montana hunts. Um, that big three seventy bull. Um, we knew, we knew where he w- we knew where he was from the night before. We knew he was going to be in the same area in the morning. We knew we had to get up um, close to the you know timber where he wanted to go back and bed and we knew, we knew we had actually, we actually had pretty good um, thermals coming down, but then once we got up to where it needed to be, all of a sudden the, the wind, there was actually wind and it was going uphill. So we had to completely change our tactic and we had to get up above, get above, above the elk. Um, but we just basically got into the position where we knew they were gonna work their way back to, um, And realistically, I mean, I really shouldn't have killed that bull because he was, he was gone. He was actually first bull that was wrapping the mountain back way down below us going into the timber. Um, you know, he, he went a lot lower than we expected, but then, um, about the middle of the herd, you know, there was like a three Oh five bull that came in probably about 40 yards right below us and just ripped a bugle and, as soon as he did that, that other bull just got so pissed off and came, came up running after him, check, you know, to, to, you know, push him out and be like, no, these are, these are my cows. Um, you know, so when I think about it though, most of, most of our stuff is, most of our, our successful hunts have been, been mornings. Um, the one last year was a, um, afternoon hunt. And it was basically, we got in tight to where they were. Um, And we basically waited for him to get up and go get a drink. And then we were able to get kind of cut him off when he was coming back to his herd. Um, But it's essentially that it's, it's get in tight to him. And, and um, you know, obviously see what you can do to, you know, get yourself in position for a shot. And I, 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 like you, like you said earlier, like, you know, you don't have alert elk, you know, they're not coming in head on. You know where angles are going to be tough to get a good shot, um, and then on top of it, like you know, usually these, you know, if you're trying to kill a herd bull, he's with he's with a whole bunch of cows, and as soon as you start making calls, now you have a crap load of eyes looking in your direction, and it's so much harder to get away with anything, you know. And and I like to be able to move, like I I got to be able to to be mobile and 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 you know move, and um, as soon as you start calling, it just you the eyeballs just come like crazy and you're just, you're locked down and you're pretty much stuck in a spot. Um, But if you don't like the elk elk are, you know, they're, they're willing to let some things go by, um, especially if they don't smell you, you know, their, their eyesight ain't great. You know, if you walk, you know, if you're going to get need to get closer, you, I walk directly at them. You know, as soon as you start walking that sideways where they can kind of see to your legs, you know, I think, I think you're you're in trouble that way, but if you walk directly at them, I think you can get away with a lot.
1: I, I agree, and man, calling solo, I've had so many elk come right at me, and and there's a whole playbook on calling solo. It does and it can work, uh, but it also depends on terrain and topography, and so we would probably regret not bringing up terrain and topography on when it comes to not calling elk so let's cover that real quick i am envisioning more open country more like 9 920 series type elk tag in montana like more eastern montana more open plains or rolling hills sagebrush pockets of timber same and there's lots of like places like that in wyoming and in idaho and in oregon where those seem to be more conducive to glassing watching observing and understanding when to be aggressive and when to pump the brakes in the timber it's so much harder like I grew up hunting north north Idaho so it's just a jungle it's really steep and if elk aren't talking you're not going to just go like I don't even carry binoculars when I elk hunt there um and so it uh,
2: that's, a lot, that's a lot like Colorado where we hunt too. I mean, there's there's a lot of areas where it's a lot of dark timber and it's, it's tough hunting. Absolutely is.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's kind of a vocalization game and we can get into vocalization game if you want. Like I still have had some success in North Idaho, not calling, but it, I tell you what, Chris, it, it wasn't going into their bedroom at 12 o'clock and trying to do midday madness and like sneak in like, Those elk are going to hear you coming. Uh, They usually pick places to bed where they have an advantage, where the wind is, they could literally put their back to the wind and be staring and listening in the direction you're going to approach or where predators would approach. They're going to pick you off. So I have snuck in on elk in North Idaho. In fact, my biggest bulls have all been sneaking in and it's been in transition. It's been in the morning. It's been taking advantage of a herd bull being just a little bit back from his cows as they're moving. And then hopefully getting an interruption from a satellite or him just literally being 45 seconds to five minutes behind his cows, which I've seen a lot of herd bulls do. And, and that has worked. So I wanted to say that so people don't rule out sneaking in in thicker country, but if you have a good caller and you are in timber country, that's a deadly combo as well. And, And Chris, I don't know about you, man, but I'm not personally married into one tactic. Like if you said I had to sit this ground blind over water for seven days, punch a clock, but I'm going to kill a bull. It's not the sexiest, but I just want to kill an elk. So I'll do that. You know what I mean? Yep. No, it's a, it's a,
2: it's a super successful way to do it. I mean, um, if you hunt, especially right now, you know, like Arizona, New Mexico, um, with it being so damn warm and dry, I mean, water is going to be a killer way to hunt. And, um, there, there's guys and you, 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 a lot of times that's where, you know, the three eighties, three nineties, four hundreds type bulls are getting killed is in on water holes and stuff like that. Um, because these guys have figured out, you know, where they're going to go drink and I got to drink it every day, but you know, there's a good chance in a seven day period that they're going to come drink at this water hole. So, it's a really good way to kill a good bull, a really good bull, you know?
1: Yeah. So I, I agree. And, um, man, it's not sexy sometimes, but it's still another level, man. It's a lot. It's another level of mental toughness to sit still in a 80, 90 degree blacked out ground blind or brush blind and just sit there and have your mind wander and be like, man, I should be out there. You know, it's just like, yeah you know patience kills and it's yeah
2: it's you know i'm i'm used to doing that white tail hunting and stuff and you know for L cutting, man it'd be it'd be it done i'm not saying i wouldn't do it but it'd be awfully hard you know to to get me to do it especially when i i hear bugles and i and i feel like i can go after him and chase him and figure him out but it's a it's a good tactic for sure um that's actually what uh, my old man how he killed his bull last year out there um in montana he he said he was sitting on a on a water hole and he ended up shooting a a 346 bull and it that was his best bull of his life that was you know bucket list type trip that my brother and and, um and i took him on um and he'd always he'd always wanted to kill a a, you know pope and young quality bull and he had never killed one yet you know and he went 14 years a row out west colorado wyoming montana you know when he was younger and this is obviously way before bow technology is anywhere close to where it is today. This is, you know, pre 2000. And I think he either hit or wound, you know, wounded or missed all, you know, all 14 years. Um, You know, so he just, he never had a chance to kill, you know, he's never killed a good one with his bow. So he always was always a bucket list thing for him. And my brother and I were able to take him to Montana last year with this. And he was able to, to get it done on a, on a really nice bowl and sitting water was the way he does it because, you know, he's older and he's a bit, you know, a bit overweight and whatnot. And, you know, just in our shape. And so hiking the mountains, just isn't going to be his best way to do it. So sitting water, you wear
1: predator camo.
2: Oh, obviously. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. Oh man. That's cool, dude. I got to get into photography. I got to understand a little bit of like your mindset and I got to talk to you about this one photo in particular. Uh, let's first go over what's your workhorse. What what's your workhorse lens, and what body do you get the most reps with? Podcast interruption time. Quick shout out. Gonna get some pay some bills. Get some plugs. Numa Outdoors new gear dropping. Elk Shape Twenty get you twenty percent off. Gonna look out for the Pursuit Pant, the Palisades Puffy. Uh, they got some new merino and synthetic combo. Check it out. Stuff drops mid August. Go to numaoutdoors.com. Wilderness Athlete. You have to load up, hydrate, recover, energy, focus, green formula, daily multi. Go to wildernessathlete.com into the discount code Elk Shape Thirty. Take thirty percent off your first purchase. Vortex Wear. I will utilize their clothing believe it or not when i'm working out scouting etc check out vortex Wear; it's next level no fluff discount code is elk shape 20 off black rifle coffee company they have the coffee of the month club which is awesome you get the latest and greatest coffee before it drops you get to try new things tons of cool stickers and flavors and incentives use the discount code elk shape get 15 percent off or get some swag ready to drinks rock and roll BlackOvis.com. you can get elk shaped veins you can use our arrow id and get custom arrows built to your specs or order a pack clothing they carry a lot of different brands use the discount code elk shape take 10 percent off some exclusions apply the elk collective.com digital elk hunting resource all uh, all visual video driven vault discount code is Elkshape Podcast $25 off. Northwest retention systems. Get the Scout chest holster. They'll build a custom chest holster to your handgun. I carry a .44 mag in the G-Bear Country. I carry a Glock 23 40 caliber in Black Bear Wolf Country. I put my vinyl harness right over the top. It's custom made. This guy's blue collar. Five-day lead time. Discount code is elk shape. 10% off. No shipping and handling. Stowaway gourmet. If you're looking for freeze-dried food right before elk season, use the discount code elk10. Take 10% off. Sheep feet. If you want custom insoles for your feet, I think they're worth it. I got a discount code. It's Elkshape. It'll take 10% off. It'll be a great investment. I put that in all my different crispy boots. Some folks have asked me, are they really worth the investment? And I would say for me, 100%, absolutely. Last but not least, X, If you're going to get a lead, a membership, use the discount code Elkshape. Take 20% off. Don't forget to download your offline maps before you head out the door. Back to the podcast.
2: So, about I guess a little over a year ago, uh, I used to be all Nikon. Um, I had a, I had tipped, dipped my toes in the Sony Sony world a little bit, you know, more mostly as a you know lightweight backcountry camera, you know, a lot for elk hunting, um, going going into the backcountry, you know, taking you know everything on your back and going to Colorado and New Mexico and all that stuff. Um, so I I wanted a smaller lightweight setup, so I ended up getting a Sony then. And then, just over the years, I just see Sony's technology getting better and better, and um, you know, and they've started to come out with the lenses that you know I, I need that I needed that um, that Nikon had that Sony didn't, you know, at the time. And obviously, that was the long lenses, the 400 and the 600. Um, and once they came out with those, I was like, all right, now I need to seriously consider this. And so I made the switch last last March or so, I guess, right before, or right when COVID was kind of happening is when I was making the switch. Um, and now I shoot exclusively Sony, um, running with the A1 is the, is my main camera. Um, I run two of those, you know, an A and a B camera. Um, and then, uh, as far as lenses goes, it really, it really depends, um, what I'm shooting, um, you know, from a, wildlife standpoint you know the 400 2.8 is is my favorite um it you know the it's one of the sharpest lenses out there period and the the results you get are awesome and then obviously it's a 2.8 so low light you get you just get better shots when you have that low light stuff Um, but then you know it all depends the rest of the stuff um you know what you're looking for you know if you want more of a landscape type shot you want more Portrait-type stuff, you know, the 135 is awesome. The, the new 50, 50 one two is awesome. Uh, and then wide-angle stuff really just depends. Like, 16-35 to 35 is one of my favorite lenses. Um, that's usually one I'll take um, into the backcountry with me, regardless of what I'm doing. Um, it's just, you know, able to get a, a good variety of shots, and I love the wide-angle look. Um, I think it really helps – really helps you know tie the scene and this tells a story you know be able to capture as much as you can
1: yeah dude so you're talking some pretty gangster cameras and lenses so like that 400 down to 2.8 that's like a ten thousand dollar lens isn't it
2: yeah it's not cheap yeah it's it's definitely expensive um you know but you gotta remember these are tools for my job these are things that these are things that help me produce and, and create the content that i need for 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 the brands that I work with or you know even you know getting the magazine covers for Rocky Mountain Elk or um I had the cover for Strung magazine for their big game issue this last year um you know those are the types of shots that I'm able, able to get with that kind of equipment you know
1: no I feel that and um like for me I'm pretty amateur like if I I still haven't used the 400 or even a 600, but I've threatened to rent those on a couple different hunts just because, you know, I'd love to rent it, not own it. I don't, I don't think it would get enough use. I don't do what you do for a living, but I can see how the, the, you know, you can justify, you know, the means for that because your end product is so money I'm assuming. Okay. So everybody's probably seen that G bear in Yellowstone that took down that elk last year. It was heavily photographed. Um, and then I know from following you, I don't know when you posted it, but I remember I, this is, forgive me, this is off memory, but you said something to the tune of like weather came in all the people left and you had the whole scene to yourself. I want to go through that. I also want to know which part of the park that was because I was in the park last year with my family and I brought, uh, I only have a 70 to 200 2.8 Sony and, um, uh, I was able to get a lot of wolves in the Lamar Valley. They killed a buffalo, and I had to sit next to all the frickin' tree huggers who think wolves are so cool. Uh, I don't know if you can tell, but I don't think they're that cool. Uh, I photographed dogs in the wild, and uh, it was cool, Um, but I didn't get any G-bears. I didn't get any shots of G-bears, so take me through that because... Y'all need to, in fact, I'm going to post a link in the show notes. I got to write a note because sometimes I forget of that image you took because it was, it's marvelous. T- take us through that whole story if you, if you don't mind.
2: So that was, um, I want to say it was something like the, I don't know, like the 20th or something in September last year. Um, it just finished up, uh, our elk hunt up in Montana and I was, I was driving back South um, to, I think I was going to try and get a, a, last week hunt with my brother in Colorado. And, you know, the day, the day we were packing up, leaving, whatever, um, you know, I scroll on Instagram just seeing what was going on out, out in the world and, and, uh, happened to, to catch, catch some photos of that or, or, and, or the video of the guy who, who saw the actual, the actual bear take down the elk and and drowned it and, and and obviously swam back to shore with it and and whatnot and I was like oh damn that's that's super cool and then uh, I was like well I'm gonna be heading down back back down through Yellowstone you know from Montana back down to Colorado so I was like let's let's see if I can't st- you know figure out where that's at and and stop and get a couple shots and um, you know I, I pulled up to that that little location there it's um, uh, it's what's the the river there um just kind of just kind of coming into hayden valley um is where it was at um right at the end of the river there and the river is still running but you know right as it comes out of the woods and then it kind of comes into hayden valley um is where it was at and obviously you know when you're out driving through the park and there's a all of a sudden a boatload of cars parked on both sides of the road and people walking in one direction, you know, there's something going on. So I, i quickly, you know, found a spot to park and, you know, I probably was a good mile away. So I had to hike, hike way down there. And, you know, went down and sat and, you know, obviously the bear was just laying there on top of the elk that he had kind of somewhat buried in the, in with the dirt. Plus it was kind of in the water still. Um, you know, it's so nothing really exciting was going on, but then, uh, he started to get a little active, kind of close to dark, but then also, like you mentioned, some, some weather started rolling in. So it started raining and it was getting, it was getting kind of dark. Um, And then uh, everybody just kind of with with the rain and kind of getting dark, everyone just kind of packed up and decided it was, that was it for the night. And I was like, screw that. I'm staying here. I'm going to, you know, sit out in the rain and and get these shots. And so I was running both, running both video and, and uh, stills and, one of the benefits of having, you know, those big fast primes, you know, shooting with the 600, the 600 F4, I think I'm at, um, was to be able to still capture enough light um, so you can get somewhat decent shots. Um, and there's, you know, the with the rain coming down and the bear was sitting up on top of the elk and, you know, starting to kind of get, you know, where he was going to start feeding again before, you know, before the night or whatever. And, um was able to capture some pretty cool shots and um yeah it was it was pretty fun I was i got you know i went back the next day and you know i got a few more shots the next day but I, they weren't nearly as cool as the ones that, that evening with the with the rain falling and all that kind of stuff
1: yeah so how like how much daylight or how like what do you think you had like did you ramp up your iso or did you just do a long exposure like because you still captured like the raindrops and it's not blurry it's like Do you know the geek out details of that photo you posted?
2: You know, I probably was shooting. I probably was shooting. Probably, I don't know, twenty five hundred ISO, if I can remember um, right. I think it was something like that, and I was probably shooting. I don't know, one three twentieth something like that. Mm -hmm. You know, and obviously shooting at f four. So, you know, and I probably, I probably you know, was toying with a bunch of that stuff going up and down and ISO going with slower shutter and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, I probably, I probably even dipped way down, you know, into, you know, one, one sixtieth, um, and probably got even some lower ISO shots too. Um, but yeah, it's, that's, you know, the benefit of, you know, these new cameras and whatnot, the, the ISO is really not bad. You know, once you start getting into the 3,200 range, you know that's that's about as high as I like to go.
1: Can you believe the magnitude of that fall bear? I mean, yes, it's a G bear, but just it's a fall bear, and I mean the the picture was posted. I got it pulled up right now, December twentieth, twenty twenty. Go find that post at Chris J Hood on Instagram. I mean, that's a that bull's like a a very nice bull. Like I. I can only see one on the side sticking out, but any idea was that like that three thirty plus bull? Was that a three fifty plus bull?
2: Oh yeah, oh yeah, it was. It was for sure all all three thirty. Um, probably, yeah, probably right around that three thirty range. I mean, he was a hell of a bull, dude. you know. From what you know, what I saw, I think in the video, I think he had a busted leg prior to the encounter with the grizzly, and the grizzly was able to get him in the water and and drown him and basically drowned him and. Um, that was how he killed them it was there's a video out there on youtube of the whole encounter which is pretty wild too
1: i've seen it and it's like dude nature is metal for real um, oh
2: it's crazy man
1: and like the bull doesn't have any urgency he's like oh it's a grizzly i'll just get in the water and like you can see like he decides to flee when it's way too late and that bear closes on its next meal it's incredible
2: and what's, and what's, what's, what's crazy to me with, with elk is they will use their antlers as a weapon against other elk, you know, when they have these big knockdown drag out fights, you know, when they're trying to fight over breeding or whatever, but they won't use them as a weapon towards anything else. Like, right? why? I, 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 I don't know. is if they knew what they had on their heads, like they could walk around like king of the jungle and no animals would mess with them at all. Humans wouldn't, you know, like they could go at humans. Like that's crazy.
1: Yeah, no doubt. So let's finish with this, Chris. Cause a lot of guys I don't want to admit this, but I know it, you know, it, you got a target on your back, Chris, like people want your job and I don't think anyone wants my job. My job sucks. I work a lot, but I always say, come and take it. Because, you know, there's a lot of hungry guys out there that want to get into the industry. They love photography, videography, making content, content curation, whatever you want to call it. Um, so if you were like, step aside from your role and be like, all right, here's how you take my job. What's your best advice for folks listening that are, have that kind of interest or possibly even passion?
2: Well, I mean, it's 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 just that. I mean, it's you got to have a passion for it first and foremost because because the industry – you know, any 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 passion industry, you, you have exactly that. You have a lot of guys that want to do it for a living and they're willing to do it for very little money. You know, obviously guys need to make a living. And there's a lot of guys that come in the industry and try and do it and realize they can't make a living on it. And they you know, they come and go, but that that that's a constant. But it's always, you know, if you don't have the passion for it, you know, you're not gonna you're not gonna make it in the long run because if you don't have that passion. You know, it's just it it becomes a job, and you know, like all jobs, it it you know becomes a little bit mundane. And obviously, in the in the hunting world, and hunting industry, it requires a lot of travel, a lot of time away from home, a lot of time away from family, friends. You miss a lot of events, all that kind of stuff. So, I mean, there's there are definitely things that are you know downsides to to the job. But you know, if you've got that passion, you're willing to you know kind of sacrifice those things to be able to make it happen. So, I mean, obviously, that's that's first and foremost. And then, um, you know, you know, and then with the passion, I mean, you just gotta stay hungry. You gotta stay driven. You gotta, you know, to you gotta keep, you know, figuring out how to master, you know, in, in this case, obviously a camera, um, you gotta figure out how to master that camera and to be able to, to get the ins and outs and know every little detail of it and how to get shots and, and, you know, how to do it quickly and effectively. And, um, and all of that and then obviously on top of that you know the you know constantly you know looking for cre- you know creative compositions and and frame you know framing and all that kind of stuff and you know that that comes with a lot of repetition and shooting It comes with a lot of studying other people's images that comes with I mean so much I mean you just I mean if you're if you're passionate about it, you're going to, you're going to dive deep
1: into it and you're going to figure it out.
2: I mean, that's where it's got to start. You got to have that passion for it.
1: Yeah. I feel that. Uh, who do you think gave you your biggest break in the industry? As far as took a gamble on you, you weren't established yet. Um, and you'd done some things, but this was like a launch pad for you. Um, You know, I guess,
2: I guess there's kind of two guys that I would kind of look at um, that really kind of helped get me to where I'm at established. Well, I guess three. Um, And, you know, very early on was uh, Jeff Simpson Uh, worked with him very early early on as part of his uh, Zeiss team, you know, his Zeiss content creation team. um, And doing a bunch of stuff with that. And then that kind of led into a relationship with Brad Christian at Matthews. Um, Brad, I guess, would be really, you know, pretty pivotal guy for me. Um, really helped me get started in, in, into this game, um, and, and grown to where I'm at. It's um, still, you know, both guys are awesome friends. You know, obviously Brad, Brad now is at uh, Sitka, so you know, technically, you know, relationship wise um you know obviously me and predator um it makes it a little bit difficult there but you know we're still buddies we still hang out um you know i haven't I actually haven't seen him in probably longer than i would like normally you know i'll see him you know when i'm out hunting in montana or whatever we'll we'll stop and get together and just schedules didn't work out last year um but uh those two guys have been really pivotal and then uh adam bender um has been been the guy um as of recent he's been um a good, good friend, good, um, and I guess boss, if you, if you want to say he's a, he's the guy who kind of runs that, uh, Cabela's Bass Pro, um, signature Outdoors program and is giving me that opportunity to work with those guys and, and be one of their main, main photographers in that, in that program. So those are, I guess the three, three guys for me and, um, you know, have given me the opportunity that also, also inspired me, you know, to, to go out and continue to shoot and create, um, and get better, you know, so. Mm,
1: yeah. So Brad made a video with Brett Singh a couple years back, um, proving grounds for Matthews. Yep. One of my favorite edits ever, just what they did. there, super special. Um, talk to Brad a little when I used to w- run sick of gear and I've even invited him on the podcast and he told me straight up, no, which I take extremely personal Brad. So if you're listening, um, I want to wrestle you just joking. I don't, I don't care, <laughs> but he didn't want to come on or whatever. And it didn't make sense to me because I was well, wearing sick and, and he was the brand manager. I figured it would make sense, but um, I wanted to just get to know him better because I don't know him. But what I do know is that guy is extremely talented behind the lens. Like, and he's got a great eye for brand and branding and same with Jeff. I've known Jeff since 2006 or seven known him for a long time. and, he's an OG in the game. He's been snapping amazing content before it was called content. Right. Right. You got some good characters that have helped you along the way for sure.
2: Yeah. Yeah. No, and that's, and that's obviously, you know, that's the thing, you know, I, I guess I would say too, is if you're a new guy up and coming, man, reach out to people, chat with them. You know, I'm always, I'm always available on Instagram. Guys hit me up all the time, asking about camera advice or industry advice, whatever. I'm, I'm always willing to help out because because for me, those are the type of guys that did it for me. And, um, and, you know, I still don't like, I still don't feel like I have it hundred percent figured out, but uh, you know, I can definitely add um, input as to what I've, what I've learned and experienced throughout my journey in this, in this industry. And, and um, you know, I'm always willing to help guys out, you know, because I just feel like it's, it's a tough, it's a tough place to navigate. You know, it's not, it's not a, a local business or local thing that's easy to you know, go in and start chatting with people or whatever. It's, it's a, it's, it's a different kind of world. So it's, it's, it's hard to, it's hard, but um, reach out hit people up, hit me up, you know, hit anybody up, you know, they answer great. If not, you know, move on, ask the next guy. So.
1: Yeah. I'd say almost everybody's willing to, to reach out to the, to the guys that, you know, have questions like none of us are too good. Um, I certainly make an additional effort to answer to my detriment, every Instagram message I get, I try to get to every one of them. And there's some stupid comments, questions, but I still do it just out of – I feel like it's part of my job um, working with brands is to, to to reply to people. And I just got a message, and I want to get your take on this. Um, I got it. I'm promoting my Elk Shape camps right now, which I absolutely hate promoting camps. Like, I just want – I like – I just want them to sell out and be done with so we can go execute and change people's worlds. But this guy asked me this question, and I want to get your take on it because I know my take. And I haven't responded to him yet, and I'm going to actually have to type something. But he said, basically, with all due respect, have you thought about the negative impact that all these hunting channels, camps, elk 101, yours, born and raised, Joe Rogan, will have on hunting in the future? Hunting is growing. It's about to be, quote, mainstream. Everybody and their uncles will be out in the woods chasing elk. I support you and your channel and do really appreciate what you do. My question is not meant with any disrespect, but more of just a thought to promote conversation. So, at Blackheart3A, this is for you. We're going to talk about your question right now and finish the podcast there. What's your thoughts, man?
2: So, I guess it's twofold. I mean, personally, selfishly, I mean, yeah, it, it sucks. Like, it's, it's, uh, it makes, getting tags harder i mean you know I, this this montana hunt that i've been doing the last six years is now going to be you know it's going to be where it's it's uh you're going to need one or two points to draw the tag you know um so it, it from a, a selfish standpoint yeah it's it's definitely making it harder to draw these tags and places for places to go hunt um but the flip side of that i mean that nobody owns these animals nobody nobody um it's 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 for everybody to enjoy and the more people out doing it enjoying the sport hunting just even just archery shooting bows um i mean it's just a you know just shooting bows is a therapeutic thing you know just to be able to go out and just to to just wash everything away and just to shoot your bow and focus on and on improving and shooting your bow like all of that is good like having more people in the sport is a good thing i mean yeah, it it's, it could suck for sure to you know make it harder to you know to 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 get tags or even the public land over the counter stuff. There may be way more people out there and, and make make it even and tougher. But that that's that's a byproduct of of good things. You know, I'm willing to deal with that. Um, you know, and and you know, it's. I think it's only a good thing having more people out there. Yes information is out there way easier for guys to figure things out the podcasts, the tv shows the magazines the all that kind of stuff the stuff that you know that you know i used to do you know scouring the internet and and everything you know 10 15 years ago when actually i'm getting old 20 years ago when i started putting in for all these tags out west um you know and started building points um i'm thinking i think i'm at I think I'm at, yeah, 17 points on some of these states. Um, you know, it's just – it makes it tougher, you know, for for me and everything. And, you know, it was a lot easier when there was way less guys doing it. I mean, I – I mean, there's – there was years I drew – I drew an Ibex tag and a, and a unit 17 tag in New Mexico for elk, which are both, like, 3% chance draws. And, they're, and now they're even worse. I mean, I'm, I think that <laughs> – I think the Ibex tag now is like a a 1% or less than 1% chance to draw. Um, You know, and that's partially because, you know, when I went and did the hunt and, um, you know, we did a bunch of Matthews content down there for for launch film for, for I think the Halon at the time. And then it got some guys, other guys, you know, exposed to that and wanted to go try and do that hunt. And like, you know, Brett Sang, who's a buddy of mine has gone down, Couple years and did a film with Sitka on it. And that, you know, because of that, it's made that tag much harder to get. Well, you know, selfishly, I would, I really want another chance to go back down there and hunt ibex and try and, and try and shoot one with my bow. But it's obviously much harder to draw that tag now. But that's a good thing. I think, I think the more guys out doing it, the more guys willing to put in the work. Um, You know, it's just the the country's, you know, there's so many cool opportunities out there. There's so many cool things. And, you know, I think hunting and, and, in general is a great thing for people to be doing, um, you know, stay out of the cities and, and, you know, keeps, you know, keeps people focused and driven. And I just, I think more people hunting is a good thing. So,
1: well, I come at it similar angles than you. I mean, I totally understand what this guy's saying. Like I get it. Like selfish damn. I used to go buy an elk tag in Idaho at the gas station on the way to camp, kill an elk in the next week or so, get it out, drive back down to the gas station, and buy an additional elk tag in Idaho, both as a non-resident. Did that for probably 12 years straight. That's why I've gotten a lot of elk killed was just the fact that there was a lot of opportunity there. Uh, f- fast forward. I think, uh, was it? Yeah, I think this is the first year that I had to December first get online and wait five six hours for an opportunity to buy an over the counter tag in Idaho, and that's all I'm gonna get is one tag, and that's lucky that I got that tag. So I appreciate what he's saying. Like, yeah, it's it's a thing for sure. On the flip side, uh, the U.S. population's like what three hundred and twenty eight million people, and hunters make up like less than five percent let's say four and a half percent of that number well the u.s population is growing my friends and for us to stay at four and a half or five percent we have to grow or we're just going to continue to go down as hunters and the u.s population is going to go up we all already know what we do for wildlife with our dollars like we're the ones that actually put our money where our mouth is so we absolutely have to grow hunting as the population grows if we want to have hunting now does that mean that i don't get to hunt idaho every year yeah that's actually a thing and montana yeah i didn't draw this year wyoming i didn't draw this year um i had to really scramble to get elk tags this year it was a really tough year for drawing and i'm like you chris i got 15 16 points in some of these states you know been in the game and still haven't drawn so it's a double edged sword but at the end of the day i think we have to look at it objectively that it's more important for hunting to be here for our grandkids and their kids than it is for us to have just the heyday, you know, get to go premiere elk hunting every year. So,
2: well, and, 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 in general, you know, in general, we're, we're educating people. People are becoming way more educated in the game. Uh, the wildlife conference conservation standpoint there, there are more elk than there are now than there were, you know, 20, 30 years ago. So, I mean, things are, things are definitely going in the right direction. Obviously you're going to look at the greater Yellowstone area and that might be a little bit different because of uh, a few certain predators there that are being unmanaged. But, um, but for the most part, the elk herds are doing great and, and, you know, over time, hopefully the ability to increase tags will, will grow. Obviously it's probably not going to be the same proportion that we would like to be able to continue going, but more people going out hunting, more people traveling, more people buying the goods in the industry, more people doing all these things or allow, allow us to continue to, to do the things that we do it in order to, to help promote the sport and, and whatnot. So I, I think it's all a good thing. It, yeah. Do you have to work harder to find a tag? Do you have to, you know, have some years go without it probably, but you know, it'll make the years that you get those good tags and the years that you get to go way more special.
1: Yeah. Well, I appreciate the message at black heart 3a thank you so much and, and i feel you but hopefully you can understand where we're coming from and uh, guys chris j hood give him a follow on instagram uh, he posts amazing images if you're a big rich company and you need to hire somebody for content creation hire him he's a one-man stop highly educated and very experienced behind the lens and an actual hunter and pretty good at it as well so chris uh where else do you have a website anything else you want to plug
2: uh, yeah, just uh, my website for uh, I sell prints um, is uh, chrishoodphotography.com. Um, it's all limited edition um, prints, uh, low low numbers. I think a hundred is the max I'll do. Um, so so and they're all they all come ready to hang. Um, really good pieces. There's a few different price points. Uh, so go check it out. See if there's anything you like. If there's um, and if there's images that you see on my Instagram that aren't there that you'd like, message me. I can get it up there and we can get you one um ordered so
1: guys as you're listening to this maybe you're driving to elk camp if you are give every day everything you got don't squander a second september is finite separation is in the preparation we'll catch you on the next one Well, guys, I hope you enjoyed that podcast. Chris, thanks for taking the time out of your busy farm schedule. I hope that all that hard work pays off when you shoot a booner. Thank you guys for listening. You have a lot of options when it comes to podcasts. Shout out to Spy Point Trail Cameras. Where legal? legal. Some states don't allow cellular trail cams, but these Spy Points are kicking butt, and they're really helping me not have to drive 10 hours to go see what's going on. Spy Point, uh, check out their cell link if you have a trail camera that's not a Spy Point and you want to turn it into cellular or just try their micro LTEs. They're super cheap or use the Force or Force 20. Uh, some of their trail cameras come with solar panels so that can help with battery life. Hang them up high, guys. Don't get them stolen. Point them down and learn more about the animals that you're hunting. Buck Knives out of Post Falls, Idaho. Man, I've been working so hard to get a partnership with them for years. It finally paid off. I love Buck Knives. I love their heritage. I love their history they're legendary try one of their skinners for your next big game kill Uh, go to my website and check out what i'm using or just get a classic 110 and call it good crispy boots usa i'm using the brick stalls primarily in september my backup boots are colorado and i'll switch over to the guides once the weather gets a little bit colder uh try crispies there's no break-in period you just out of the box that's no joke it's uh elk shape approved throw some sheep feet in there if you want to take it up another level elk shape camps if you're listening to this The pre-sale ends August 31st. So get in there and get your ticket purchased. I want to sell the camps and get it done with. I don't have to promote them. And I want to give away a black bear hunt with me, hunting full, you and a friend in Alaska, May 2022. I want to give away a pig axis turkey hunt in Texas right before the camp starts with the entire elk shape crew. I want to give away a VIP shooting experience at Vortex Edge at Vortex Optics. I want to give away backcountry e-bike ride with Baku and myself in North Idaho in my backcountry. We're going to take you on an epic ride. We're going to stay at my cabin and do another epic ride and send you on your way home. Plus, we're giving away $50 to blackobus.com. A brand new Matthews 2022 bow. We're giving away a lifetime Onyx Elite membership and more. If you're signed up for the pre-sale, you're automatically entered to win. We'll announce the winners when I get back from Elk Hunting, probably early October. All right, guys. You have a lot of choices when it comes to podcasts. Thanks for choosing ours. Remember, separation is in the preparation